You're listening to Dose of Depth Podcast. I'm your host, Deborah Lukovich, and I invite you to be curious about your unique experience of being human. In this podcast, we'll explore the deeper meaning of ordinary life experiences through conversation, stories, and education. You might have a serious aha moment, or you might just be amused by the movie your life seems to be imitating, or you might just be entertained by one of my awkward stories. I'm hoping you'll become more aware of those moments when a deeper part of you is prompting you to see things differently and maybe even go a new direction. So let's get started. In this episode, I chat with Dr. Christy Gardner about float tanks and float therapy, a holistic water-based form of sensory deprivation and isolation therapy, which was originally pioneered by John C. Lilly at the National Institute of Mental Health in 1954. You might have heard about floating or even tried it. Maybe it's a regular part of your self-care now, like going to yoga class. For many, it's a great way to relax or even escape from the overstimulating nature of living in today's world. But you know me, there's something deeper going on in that float tank, and looking at it through the lens of depth psychology is a great way to explore what that deeper part of you might be trying to communicate through the experience. I happened upon a fellow depth psychology colleague whose PhD research explored the topic. How lucky are you? Dr. Christy Gardner's relationship with the topic of floating goes way back to her childhood preoccupation with water. You might be able to relate. As I was chatting with Christy, memories of trying to hang out at the bottom of our childhood swimming pool for as long as possible emerged out of my unconscious. You're going to hear how years later that preoccupation with water showed up as a desire for Christy to explore some hidden trauma related to her birth experience. She'll tell you how she eventually was called to study depth psychology to explore how people might benefit even more from float therapy or even just be more aware of the meaning behind their own preoccupation with water. In addition to being a scholar, Dr. Gardner is a freelance copy editor for the C.G. Jung Institute of Los Angeles Journal, Psychological Perspectives, and a dissertation editor. Christy says she enjoys guiding students with their concept papers, proposals, dissertations, and other academic writing through the final manuscript. You're going to love this conversation. About 10 years before the beginning of my midlife unraveling, I felt an irrational calling to the local urban beach. It was 2004, and I was having a networking meeting at a new coffee shop down the road from the beach. The professional connection and I were lamenting the decline of what was once a vibrant beach scene. We reminisced about hanging out there in our 20s, and my husband and I had even taken our daughter there when she was a baby. Then we had moved out to the suburbs, and life got busy, and in the meantime, for a complex combination of reasons, the beach died within a few years. So I'm at this coffee meeting, and I declare, we've got to do something about this. I went home and asked my young children whether their mother should help bring back the beach. Yes, they agreed. So I started Friends of Bradford Beach. For the next four years, I was on a mission to lead this community effort to bring back the beach. I spent all my spare time gathering community support and complimenting efforts of the man who really brought the beach back through music events and beach volleyball. I became obsessed with being at the beach. We did it. Four years later, more than a thousand people showed up for opening weekend. Eventually, I could mostly have fun, and I even started playing beach volleyball. It was like an alternative reality for me. I felt like I was a different person when I was at the beach. The sand, the water, was pulling me towards something I wasn't even aware of. 
Eventually, I realized feeling called to the water had meaning. Once I enrolled in the master's PhD program in depth psychology, I even found myself studying there at the Tiki Bar. I knew I was an oddball, but I liked that part of myself. The water is a symbol for the unconscious. What I had been denying and pushing down eventually bubbled up to the surface. My beach renovation project had been a metaphor for my unconscious desire to renovate my own life. I had created something new in the external world, but now it would be time to do the same for my inner world. You can learn all about my midlife unraveling in blog posts, my soul book, and other podcast episodes. So let's get started with my chat with Christy. Welcome, Christy. I am so excited to consider another topic through a depth psychology lens. How are you doing this week? Hi, Deborah. Thank you, or Dr. Deborah. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, well, you know, survived another week of the pandemic. I love that you were called to the water to bring that beach access back to your community. That's a, I love that. Yeah, I didn't really realize that hidden unconscious agenda had to do with me, my personal life, not the community, but yeah, funny story. So let's get started. Uh, people who are drawn to floating, maybe even intuitively know there's something for them that goes beyond a brief respite from the daily grind of life, but they might not have a framework for exploring the deeper meaning of the experience. And you and I, as depth psychologists, were super aware of the mysterious forces that are always behind the scenes, pushing us here, pulling us there, for the purpose of unfolding according to some secret plan that sometimes only our deeper self or even God knows until they let us know a little more. So I think my listeners will really appreciate your story about how you found yourself studying depth psychology and researching the experience of floating going way back, beginning with your childhood love for water. So share your story. Oh, thank you for that question. Wow. So I found myself studying depth psychology. Um, first, I was introduced to Joseph Campbell in my early 20s, and then Carl Jung in my late 20s during my undergrad coursework at Mount St. Mary's College here in Los Angeles. I was taking some religious studies courses uh, that had an emphasis on like death in the afterlife theme. And there was all this Jungian material. I discovered Pacifica through, let's call it heartbreak and a spiritual emergency. What I discovered through my research and through analysis is that unsettling float experiences might be traced back to early childhood trauma or from a depth perspective, perhaps the actual trauma of birth, which follows what's called the perinatal um, or surrounding, you know, uh, you know, pregnancy, um, the theories of Stanislaw Groff. I'm not sure if you've talked about Stanislaw Groff on your, on your podcast, but. No, go ahead and just, you know, just give a little snippet about his work. Yeah. Snippet. So he, he basically sort of suggested there were four basic, what he called perinatal matrices, the first being obviously the, you know, the baby in the womb floating around in the aquatic sort of water of life, which is simulates floating in, or floating simulates that. Um, but he noticed that the stages of the birth process, um, actually he suggested that that's where our complexes are formed. And I'm not going to go into all that, but um, through this process of understanding the trauma of birth, 
it's funny because over the years, my analyst and I, you know, have, have considered that my lifelong pool drain phobia has to do with sort of a living symbol of my mom, my mom being sick. I mean, we were rushed to the emergency room. I was premature. She was eclampsia, it had eclampsia, toxic shock. She was really, she, we almost died. Mm. And so that this sort of the pool drain phobia, the living symbol of the toxic womb, no exit birth condition from that perspective, from the Stanislaw Groff's theory of birth. So then, well, I mean, I, 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 in 2010, I discovered somebody talked to me about floating and I said, Ooh, this looks interesting. So I started doing the theoretical sort of pre-research. Then I enrolled in Pacifica graduate Institute in 2012. And I knew that was going to be my topic because anything that had to do with water, um, I, I had to just know more. And it, so it's basically been a pleasant passenger in my life. And as a, as a treatment itself, I finally got into the float water in November of 2013. And it's been life-changing. What comes up for me right now is the Wounded Researcher book um, and how our personal traumas, as we explore them and process them, how they contribute to then this new interest and purpose and mission or business or whatever that we then turn around and offer. So it is interesting that, you know, all of this happened and then, oh, there's floating in front of me. And then there's like, oh, how can I contribute to this as a potential life-changing experience for people? So I, I think it might be good now to offer maybe our listeners a little history about floating. I don't know where it originated, if it's a modern thing or if it was here centuries ago, and then maybe how it evolved in the marketplace and it's more commercialized form because, you know, we Americanize everything, yoga, meditation, and, and then maybe, um, where it is and how it's being used therapeutically. Cause that was new for me. I had heard about floating and then, um, you can start there. And then, uh, then, take our listeners on a journey about how floating can bring you into connection with this transpersonal state. And I love a couple of quotes from your dissertation, but this one I really like. Uh, it's really concise and sort of just captures it. And it's C.G. Jung, which I'll remind my listeners is one of the founders of depth psychology, the study of the unconscious. And here's a quote. We have forgotten the age old fact that God speaks chiefly through dreams and visions. And for listeners who don't associate, you know, with God, um, the self, you know, a deeper part of ourselves. So I love how you go on to talk about the blackness of the float tank, which is like a canvas onto which living images and inner images are projected like the inner images can come out and play. They have a chance to speak now that the external reality is completely blacked out. And then if you want to include this um, documentation of Tom Wilkes experience, as you explain that, and just, that's a lot. So just go wherever you want to go with all that. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Well, the, the quote about the blackness of the float tank and the canvas, that's a great quote by John Lilly. And John Lilly was the pioneer of what we'll call the modern float tank or the modern floating uh, phenomenon that 
sort of, I guess you could say, started up in the 50s, um, back when, you know, all the science, brilliant minds were trying to explore. I mean, we sort of had the juxtaposition during the era of preparing to go to outer space. But also, you know, we had psychedelic research mm. that was sort of turning, you know, ourselves on, you know, there was the interiority uh, discovery that was also going on. I mean, humans have been drawn to bodies of water since time eternal. I mean, this, you know, we've had the bathhouses, we've had the mineral springs, the hot springs, but the Dead Sea is probably one of the most well-known sources of a therapeutic, you know, where we've gotten the water for a therapeutic um, source. So bringing the tank into modernity and, you know, the original tanks that John Lilly first um, came up with were, you know, pretty scary. I mean, if you've seen something like the old movie Altered States or more recently Stranger Things, mm. the Netflix series, and you see this, you know, upright tank where you have to wear like a diving helmet, that's not quite, you know, that's not very aesthetically pleasing. So John Lilly with, and there was this couple, uh, the Perrys, who created a basically more like a recreational or a, a commercial float tank where everything was, um, you laid horizontally and with a salt. And that's basically what Lilly was using at his residence in Malibu during the time where he was doing participants would come out and basically float and the samadhi what's called the samadhi tank that's the design and it became a, a therapy it didn't maybe start off as a therapy but it, it ended up it was like oh look look now that we're laying down and it's flat and we're not with a diving helmet and it's not scary people are getting some medicine out of this and he noticed that um so yeah, I mean, what's funny about John Lilly is when he was young, he was uh, when grew up in parochial school, and he ran into church one day, and I guess he he is like six or seven years old or something like that, and he basically had a vision of God on the throne and angels singing and the whole. He took that to you know the nuns, and the nun says, "Oh no, 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 no." only the priests get to see God and visions and you need to run along back to your laboratory because he was a genius from the start. And so he basically his, his numinous experience was totally squashed by, mm. you know, the Catholic, the, his Catholic faith. And I think that maybe part of him was always trying to get back to that. Like that's how part of this, you know, his quest for these uh, inner states were, sort of gestated out of that in part but yeah I mean the psyche has or God or the self uh, projects these images just like with dreams or you know an active imagination you know or any kind of altered state or non-ordinary state of consciousness and the float tank is no different great thank thanks for that tell me a little bit we're in our preparation talking about um what is his name Tom Wilkes so Tom Wilkes, yeah. Um, Just to give my listeners like an idea of like what actually can happen when you go to a float tank. <laughs> I can read, I can, uh, yes, I'll unpack that and I can read you a short ex excerpt from, from the actual story. So couched in John Lilly's uh, well-known, well-read, um, sort of like for people who want to get to know uh, flotation, read John Lilly's The Deep Self. 
um, in that book, he does have the tank logs where several people, you know, I think there's like 100 float tank reports. Ralph Metzner's in there, Stanislaw Groff, there's some familiar faces, but Tom Wilkes had a really striking story. And my dissertation basically highlighted his story. Um, his experience, Wilkes's experience comprised visual images, auditory and bodily phenomena. Um, I traced the sequence of events that unfolded during Tom's float and examined basically what appeared to be the distinct stages or portals into unconscious realms. And I will read you an, a short excerpt from what he wrote. Tom Wilkes said, upon relaxing, I would move into the black void. I heard fragments of messages, voices saying things I could not decipher. This continued for an undetermined length of time until color, colored visual images would pass me by. These images were non-objective and seemed to pulsate as they passed. The colors were generally magenta, blue, or whitish. At some point, three female entities began questioning me. The feeling was warm and attracting. I fought to return and did so violently that my body jerked and I noticed a stinging in my left eye. The slight pain kept me aware of my physical self for a time. Then I returned to the three beings. I passed through them and there was a splash of golden light. At this point, I became aware of three dimensional spheres turning in several directions, inside and outside of themselves emitting a warm magenta glow. Their presence was awe-inspiring and produced a religious kind of emotional feeling. That's what, I mean, it's, it, there's more, but that's basically the meat of what I grabbed. And I said, this is it. Look at all these different moving pieces. You know, we have the somatic, the body stuff. I, it, not all floats are the same. Sometimes you get absolutely zero, you know, with, but this was like, whoa, in retrospect, his, this float story could have been the entire dissertation. Mm. Oh yeah. I think about all the different images in there, the color, those particular colors, the three, three, the feminine. Wow. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing because I, I always weave in my personal experience because people are not used to this. Right. And there is a you, you need a starting place. So that's powerful. Did you, is there, was there any part of your dissertation that, or any part of his, um, logs that showed how he might've then gone on to process and find meaning in those images, or was that not part of it? I mean, John Lilly has a section on the tank rules in that book. And I, he talked about don't, you know, for the participant not to talk to really anybody afterwards, mm. you know, you spend some, spend an hour or so journaling afterwards. You know, this is this. And when I worked at the float clinic uh, for a couple of years, basically that was sort of the, the instruction I gave to floaters. It's like, this is sort of your time to tend your experience, especially if you have something like this happen which is like sort of the equivalent to equivalence to a, a big dream, but not much, not in the sense that we do with our depth processes. Right. Right. Well, and that's why we need, that's why we need to partner with uh, depth psychologists or to create a framework for people. So, which is so exciting to me. Um, 
So not only does floating bring us closer to our unconscious, but the tank as a symbol of the womb, a protective space in which something is growing, emerging, developing, being created, as well as being a vessel in which unconscious contents are mixing and being activated. And I'd love for you to just talk about this. And, and also you're finding that floating seems to be a particularly safe space for men to feel things they've been, you know, honestly shamed out of allowing themselves to feel. So, you know, that, and you mentioned that they, some men, you know, shared that they could cry where they really couldn't cry unless they were in a float tank. So I found this really promising because, you know, patriarchy has really damaged men as it's not just women. So yeah. So if you could talk a little bit about, you know, the womb and, and that particular um, part of it. Yeah, I mean, the womb, it's, it certainly seems to be a symbol. It's a symbolic, you know, it, it's a, you know, hermetically sealed sort of place that it, it, I mean, John Lilly, in one part of his book called it the womb to tomb wet box. Mm. Mm. I mean, just sit with that for a second, the womb to tomb <laughs> wet box. I, I mean, it is it is sort of a place of death and rebirth. I mean, you go in, you 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 literally turn off sort of the day side of our you know ego consciousness because here you are in the blackness of you know it's sort of like back to the womb. And well, and also, oh, I really like that actually because also it's kind of like a coffin. So it's not only a womb; like a womb can also be a really suffocating and limiting place. So I, yeah, I kind of, cause it has both of the, oh, the warm, nice feeling and all, and also the, ooh. <laughs> well, in kind of like cars and everything else in the world, all, not all float tanks are created equal. Some, they all look different now. I mean, they, they've had many, many years to sort of change the technology. So some of them do look more, you know, like an actual womb. They're curved and mm. round, and, you know, and some of them still are, you know, more like a rectangular box. So depending on what your preference is for aesthetics, some people don't like the coffin, you know, other people don't mind it so much. And, and then talk about men, men's experience. So, yeah, when I was working at the float center, I was surprised at how many men were, you know, once I developed, you know, sort of a relationship with them, a professional relationship, they would let me know that, you know, hey, grandma, my grandma, I just lost my grandmother. And I'm, mm. you know, and it's like, oh, and I, I'm, and I got my best crying done in the float tank, or I'm going through divorce. And this is the only place that I feel safe to float. And it was like, Okay, interesting. And I, 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 you know, it made me think of Edward Edinger from Anatomy of the Psyche, where he says the salutio, and the salutio is an alchemical term for the, the alchemical bath or, you know, baptism. It's basically, but that the float tank may resolve psychological difficulties by transferring the issue to the realm of feeling. And I think these men we're finding their feeling, getting connected, not just to the emotion, but diving deep into the feeling function. And they wouldn't be able to cry anywhere else, but because it's, you know, the acoustically a place where you can cry and wail as I've done in the float tank, when I've had some pretty intense, powerful floats, you scream. I, uh, I just, I think that's really powerful. And my clients all know I'm a big fan of big cries. So because they, well, not only physiologically, apparently each tear like releases a thousand different toxins, but 
that it's, it's soul making, man. That's what's happening when you're having a big cry. So, you know, for, so for anyone who can't cry, you know, there that's major stuckness. You're getting in the water to let the water flow. Yeah. I love it. That's beautiful. Uh, Christy, I'd love for you to touch on the shadow and the body and this notion that, which I wouldn't have thought about this, but people who seek out floating are, are conscious about one thing. They need a break from an overstimulating world. And maybe they're like, Oh, I love, I just, for some reason, I know I'm going to love this, but without a framework to consider the deeper meaning of even your interest in floating, is it possible that it just becomes this temporary fix, right? Like, like having a glass of wine at the end of the day, it makes you feel a little more relaxed, but if you don't really deal with maybe why you need that glass of wine at the end of the day, then nothing really like growth doesn't happen. So, um, you know, and I wonder if just like alcohol can become like an addiction, can even a therapeutic thing like floating without that framework or without that partner to sort of help you explore that it just becomes this kind of surface level thing, which is great. It's like a respite, but you know, it's missing out on all the opportunity to really dig a little deeper and explore. Yes, absolutely. And my external reader that was on part of my dissertation committee, she's, she's a doctor, Annette Shelgren. She's um, basically the float I call her, she's the float queen in my book. <laughs> her research team at the Human Performance uh, Lab in Sweden at the University of Karlstad, basically, they have put a lot of research out and they have been very clear, this is not a magic bullet, that they've also talked about the advertising with businesses trying, you know, to promote it as sort of, you know, just, just buy everywhere. It is not a magic, it's not going to fix it, by itself, it's not a standalone treatment. And they, they, uh, her group basically has said over and over again, it's best when combined with psychotherapy, because it, it's not, it's not a drug to take you away from having to do that hard inner work, but it can be used to enhance and support you through the journey. My instinct is like with everything, everything that offers you like this little temporary, <sighs> Is great because yeah, ocean, oceanic bliss. Yeah. Um, so one thing I am always assuring my clients is that messages they're receiving from the unconscious, whether it's dreams, synchronicities, trigger complexes, whatever, that they're all meant to be helpful, but without a framework, people can be overwhelmed by the images. So could you talk a little bit about this and have you found that images that come up during floating, like, is there some themes overall, or are they all over the place? Because obviously it's, you know, it's an individual experience and then maybe you can tie in archetypes then, cause we're talking about universal. Um, and, uh, you know, and I love the archetypes and I love personifying because it's a way for people to like, let's just put that over there and then I can take a look at it. And, you know, it's not, me, it's part of me, but it's just easier to sort of deal with. So, yeah. Well, I've had, I had clients that didn't like what they experienced and would literally get up in the middle of their session and run out the front door. Oh yeah. Like I really? had one gentleman who he, he freaked out about the sound of his own heartbeat. 
talk about being, you know, and it, I was, it, I, it was not, it was a tell. I thought, wow. So we are almost afraid of our own bodies, you know, in modernity. We, I mean, also the fear of the dark, fear of silence, solitude, very alive and well in, in post-postmodern world. My first close experience, I had a vision of a sphere, which is not uncommon, according to what John Lilly wrote about, very common for first-time floaters to have some sort of a sphere, sort of like your initiatory mandala, I guess. Um, my second, second or third set float session, I was met with an awe-inspiring figure, which I, after doing some active imagination during the Red Book coursework that I had at Pacifica, came to understand this figure as the green man, which is one of the oldest, most archaic images in the human psyche that goes way, way, way back. Hmm. Um, and even my float committee member, uh, Dr. Uh, Shelgren, she had a participant way back in 2001 that reported an interesting figure called um, that called himself Arachnion. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. But um, it was described as an elder man, uh, gray white hair that wore a white shift and imparted words of wisdom to the participant. Now, most people, you know, in, in a depth perspective, we would go sort of think about the wise old man. And I'm thinking yes. of Jung and Philemon, you know, and it's sort of like, yes, yes right? Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Yes. So it's sort of like, but what did my, my question throughout the dissertation process, what are these people that are experiencing these visions and this wisdom? I mean, are they, are these figures still, you know, pa passengers in their lives? Are they being visited? by you know like because the green man kept showing up for me throughout all different you know so are are they just saying these are great visions but and then they're back to work back to the mundane and they lose it all together so the depth is what takes us into these images where we know how to sort of work with them for you the green man i'm really interested in how like what kind of meaning did you find in it eventually oh my gosh. The, I, it's been years and sometimes it takes years to I, even yeah. find the meaning. I still am, but there were so many, I can't remember. I mean, it's just, he's, it had a lot to do with my, the, you know, absence of nature in my life. I mean, I live here in mm. Los Angeles, California, so I don't, and I, I haven't been out in nature as much as I need to be. And that's been a common theme because I was obligated to, I was a caregiver. So I was sort of stuck with my caregiving for my okay. father. So but it it rebirth rebirth renewal um you know you think of things like that with the green man okay it also seems like very like prophetic like this is where i'm going like i'm i'm going to like almost like he's you know seducing you right. like come yes. with me yes yeah. yes yeah so i see a couple of possibilities here for people who feel called to floating or like this is resonating with with them and they want to explore the deeper meaning of their experience. So not just go to like one of those commercialized places where, okay, now what do I do with this? Um, talk a little bit more about float therapy and it's, uh, like it's underlying approach. Like what, like, what do they do that sort of makes it therapy? Is there a therapist there? Or then you go see another therapist or, and there, and are there Jungian float guides or therapists? And, and then the other possibility I see is, and I don't, and I wonder if people haven't really thought about this is unless they're out in California, is that I see complementing floating with a depth psychology coach, 
like me, who can bring some, you know, expertise to helping someone develop their own personal capacity to work with their images. So just your thoughts on all of that. Uh, great questions. Um, and yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so I, I talked about, I brought this up in, in my dissertation, right as it stands from what I understand right now. No, there are no depth psychology folks involved with you know, mentoring, guiding, float business owners, mm -hmm. and or, you know, preparing, showing the staff members um, how to work with these, you know, cl uh, clients that come running out and, you know, have had a demon in the tank, for example, or they had an amazing, you know, Jesus shows up and what they want to know what it means. I right. had suggested to a couple float owners to have a copy of the book of symbols that lovely big book of symbols from the, the ARAS on hand, because it's just something so that clients can look through and say, oh, I, I saw one of these. What is it? And just to get them. But yeah, I think I, I suggested per putting together a float lexicon that sort of combines Jungian and floating terms in one sort of handbook, something that I might do um, eventually. Yeah. So it's sort of I think that it's wide open. I really do. I think this is an un, it's an area that is wide open. Yeah. yeah. And they're interested. They're interested because my clients, sometimes they would sit and we'd talk for two hours. Like if they were the last client of the night, I wouldn't get out of there until midnight because we'd sit and talk about a Jungian interpretation of whatever they had experienced in the tank. Oh, yeah. Oh, Christy, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're being led someplace. We got to bring, we got to bring, this is, you know, I do this podcast to bring depth psychology to regular folks, but, and also a framework for them. So it's why I have a book and I do blog posts and all that. And even like, I wonder if even putting together like a one sheet, like I have a one sheet on, you know, the, the temptations about how to work with dreams, right? Like people take them too literally. And, you know, the people who show up in your dreams are usually about you, not them. And, and so like, even having a one sheet might be cool. Like, you know, here, take, here's how to work with your float experience after you have it. And I'd be happy to share that on my website. If you put something together, put your name on there and I think it just, it'd be, it would be great to offer to people. Cause now they're going to be like, Oh, I, I want to do this, but you know, they can go float, but they can't find the framework. So, um, is there anything else that you want to, um, anything else that is coming up for you about floating or depth psychology or. I feel like I need to repent because it has been so many weeks since my last float. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I got to get, I, it's yeah. I, I need to do it more often. My best, I felt my best when I was floating three days a week. Oh, so it's almost like it almost could be a practice, like even yoga. Like I go to yoga twice a week. And if I don't go to yoga and you can go, I've been practicing yoga for a long time, but man, you can keep having deeper and deeper and deeper experiences. So, and and also depth psychology for me is a spiritual practice. So, you know, so floating and looking at floating and your experience in a different manner could become a kind of practice for you, like a, like a personal development practice. Yeah. My partner does it every Sunday. So it's sort of like, you know, gets reset for the week. 
um, you can bring a dream to the float tank and and do some inner. That's what I I've done that before. So it works it works both ways. You might have a big dream and then say I need to get in that tank so I can you know draw down into it further. Mm -hmm. I love that because I'm always, you know, suggesting to my clients that they can ask for a dream, like when you or ask to, why well, I'm still wondering about this dream. Can you bring it back to me or do active imagination, of course. So, um, oh, I like that idea too, where you take a question, even a question to the float tank. And it's just like, you're dropping down into a different state where you're more receptive to another kind of wisdom and, Oh, I love that. Oh, see, we're making some ideas right now. Um, so this has been great. And I guarantee no one will have listened to a conversation like this before floating and depth psychology and Chrissy, your research is really important. And I wonder what's next for you. So, and also, um, I know we were talking, like, we never think like we want people to read our dissertation, but we're like, nobody's going to want to read that, but people have read mine. So how could people get a PDF of your dissertation um, or, you know, I could get it to them. And then also, do you want followers on Instagram? Where can they find you? And, you know, to just kind of follow where you're going to go with this. And I love your Instagram posts because they're like tiny little bits of depth psychology and always beautiful images. So, yeah. So how can people, you know, support you, follow you, get your PDF of your dissertation? Well, I'm planning on writing a book and some journal articles in the coming, I'll say months or years. So my dissertation is not open access, um, but you can you can download, I think the, the cheapest version, electronic version is around $40. It's not available on ProQuest. And because I'm gonna be, I'm not sure what direction I'm doing the publishing, I was advised not to, to have it open access at this time. You mentioned, um... You mentioned a presentation you did in Prague. Yeah. Is that something that is available? Yes. Like I didn't, I don't know. If, oh, so could people access like a PDF of that? Yes, it's the it's a it's a talk. It's on um Okay. Yeah, it's available. It's 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 an earlier rough draft of what you know I warn you. It was, you know. No, that's okay. So is that like on YouTube or you can get a link for me and I, I can, can get a link for you. Yeah. Okay, great. So I'll I'll put it in the description box then. Um, so Chrissy, I want to thank you so much for joining me for this chat. I love supporting and giving voice to all my Pacifica and PhD peeps, my tribe. And I think our conversation for me was full of innovative thinking and approaches to healing and not just healing though, because after healing comes unfolding in a new way. Mm. And I think especially today, the world is waiting for something new. And only in relationship with our unconscious can we unfold in a way that's going to be part of something new that the way the world is really waiting for. You know, I just thought of something Lawrence Hillman said to me recently, you know, Shakespeare always has an act four in every play and you can't get from act one to act five without going through act four. Oh, I love it. I think that's a, yeah, I think that's a great way to end. So thank you so much for being on my podcast. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Christy. And whether you're already a practitioner of floating or maybe now open to trying it out, you can appreciate the deeper level of what may be happening beneath the surface of your floating experience. Consider journaling about your experience and the images that come up or emotions and bodily reactions. 
offer a question to the float tank experience or ask for help exploring a dream or a recent triggering event. And let me know if you'd be interested in that one sheet. I can put it up on my website if Christy's willing to create it. If you're interested in having a partner with an expertise in depth psychology, the study of the unconscious, by your side, check out my testimonials on the services page. Remember, there's always a hidden motivation behind your interests, actions, attractions, and preoccupations. Until next time. I'm your host, Deborah Lukovich, and you are listening to Dose of Depth Podcast. To get updates on new episodes, my writing, and how I teach my clients to get to know that deeper part of themselves, go to DebraLukovich.com. Oh, and if you're not ready for a coach, learn what my clients know in my book, Your Soul is Talking. Are you listening? Five Steps to Uncovering Your Hidden Purpose. You can check it out on my website or get it on Amazon.